Well, what a month of football we have ahead of us, and you can enjoy it all down the pub with We Love Sport. Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast, Euros edition. My name is Chess Warren, and it's been another couple of action-packed days in the Euros. Joining me today to look over it, we have someone we're always delighted to have on the show. It's the Sun's women for football reporter, Sandra Broby. Thank you, Sandra, for coming on today. Hi, thank you for inviting me on. Not at all. Pleasure to have you, as always. And we're also delighted to have back our Portuguese journalist, Inesh Sampaio. Hello, Inesh. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, thanks. Thank you for inviting me. Not at all. Always a pleasure to have you on, especially with Portugal playing in this tournament. First of all, to start off our pod today, we want to throw to you, Sandra. You were at the Amex on Monday for England's annihilation of Norway. I think it's okay to say it. We had our previous podcast where we had the brilliant Anita Asante, Courtney Sweetman-Kirk and Nicole Holiday talking about the game just after it. If you want to listen to that one, have a look at our previous pod. It is really a good one. But Sandra, you were there in the stadium. Tell us about it. What a performance from England. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I mean, phenomenal is an understatement to describe what, what they did uh, in that first half. I mean, there, were, there, there are a few people, that were, and obviously you saw them, if, you were, if people were watching on TV, uh, question marks over the um, penalty with um, Ellen White, obviously with uh, Maria, Maria Torres-Dotti coming into contact with her. But um, I mean, once that goal, once Georgia Stanway smashed that in, England just kind of took control. I don't know whether Norway was stunned by that. And then obviously, you know, the next goal going in quite quite quickly. And then I think it was, what, five goals in, in the space of 40 minutes. It was just an outstanding performance by them, probably their best and most lethal under, uh, you know, under uh, Serena Wiegmann. And I think it laid down a real marker for, for the team in terms of their ambitions for the tournament and kind of, kind of lay down the gauntlet for their rivals because I mean this is now you know prior to the Euros they uh, you know they they thrashed the Netherlands in the friendly and that kind of pricked everyone's ears up and then you've got this uh, comprehensive defeat or hammering should you say of Norway a team containing people such as or caliber stars of the caliber of Ada Hegerberg, Guro Wrighton you know, such and Caroline Graham Hansen, phenomenal attacking talent in there. But the fact that to come away from that with a clean sheet, then also for that clinical finishing is a real kind of statement of intent for, from England and from Serena Wiegmann. On Tuesday, though, in Group B, Denmark saw off Finland thanks to a Panilla Harder header from about a yard out. Inesh, it's fair to say that it won't be a game that lives in the memory of lots, but it's a much needed win for Denmark, wasn't it? Oh yeah, indeed. Um, Denmark, after you know the disaster that was the first game uh, against Germany, Denmark really needed to you know to get a result uh, against Finland and to get in the fight for qualification for the quarterfinals. And um, having that win, especially with that header from their main star, Bernil Harder, who I think played really well. Well, she isn't at her best. But considering, you know, the issues, because a player can never be expected to play as well for the national team as they do for for club, because it's totally a different setup, different 
you know, tactics, etc. So that was such an important win for them. Um, and I think going into the last uh, round against Spain, fighting for qualification against Spain, I think that gave them a much needed boost. And Sandra, for Finland, though, they bow out of the group of death. Um, we always knew that it was going to be tough for them to even try and compete with the teams that are in, in this in this group. But they've given a good account for themselves, haven't they? Despite the two defeats, do you think they've kind of they've put up a good enough fight, even though realistically we knew it probably wasn't going to be something they were going to be able to do get, getting to the quarters? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, in that game against Spain, when they they scored so swiftly, uh, in in you know the opening the op- or two inside two minutes, basically. I mean, that in itself would have been a boost for them, giving Spain a, a run for their money in terms of that early goal. And uh, I, I guess it's just with the quality that they've got in that group, it would have been a, a, you know a tough ask. I mean, to go up against you know Spain, you've got Germany, Denmark. It's just. It's a tough ask to go to go up against those three and to, to try and pull off a shock against Spain, let alone all, all three of them. So I think they'll they'll probably you know obviously you'd want to get out of the group, but I don't think they'll be embarrassed by their showing at, at the you know in their in this group stages. And the other game in Group B was the eagerly awaited clash between Germany and Spain. Now, Spain liked to play out from the back, but they absolutely undid themselves at the start of this fixture. Um, and they gifted Germany an early goal when Spanish goalkeeper Sandra Panos' clearances went straight to Carla Ball. If Lucia Garcia had scored her chance when she rounded Merla Frooms, then it could have been different. But instead, she hit the side netting, and that proved costly as Alexandra Prop headed in a second. Now, Sandra, Germany are frightening, frighteningly functional, aren't they? They are looking dangerous in this tournament. Spain created more chances, they had double the possession, but Germany were organised and clinical. Germany have won the most women's Euros. Is it looking like it's going to be another one in the bag in 2022 for them? Too early to say, I think, but they're definitely obviously one of the strongest contenders aside from England and France. And you've got to throw Spain in there and possibly, I wouldn't discount Sweden um, out as yet or you know, even the Netherlands will wait and see. It could be that they, those two get better as, as the tournament goes on. But Germany are possibly, alongside England, alongside France, probably the three most, among the three most dangerous sides. I mean, it's the, the, the different ways they find to win. I mean, they, they swept Denmark aside, you know, with quite efficient clinical finishing. And then we're, against Spain, they just, you know, found another way to win. The pressing, both in attack, but in defence was incredible. The way they closed down, uh, you know, Spain's attempts to pass. I mean, Spain's passing was still impressive in that game, but but Germany's press was next level. I mean, it's not surprising they were making those changes because it must have been knackering, just closing down those balls, trying to cut off those chances. And, you know, to come away with, again, you know, against such a, a, a top draw Spain side, even without Pateas and Hermoso, you know, with a clean sheet is, is just quite something. And I mean, the, the saves from Frums, you know, mm. in the second half were, were just top draw. Uh, I mean, with that press, it's such a fantastic uh, capability that they have. And then obviously the finishing, when they, you know, when those chances come, they just bury them. So then they're not wasted. So I think they're definitely amongst the sides to beat in, in this tournament. 
It's funny that you mentioned the loss of Hermoso and Puteus because to me they seem blindingly obvious in especially the way that Spain move off of the ball. They look almost lost when they aren't in possession. Um, Inesh, do you think going forward they'll be able to make anything from this tournament without that loss? Do you think they'll be able to find that level of togetherness that they don't really seem to have without those two players on the pitch? I think it's not it's not just the loss of them or the absence of them. It's also that um, clearly their best players right now that are there are not gelling with players from other teams because they have such a strong foundation from Barcelona. And you have Mariona, uh, who's an amazing player. She's actually my favorite player from the Spanish side. You have Aitana, um, but they are not gelling in Patri as well they're not gelling with the Real Madrid players, for example. You saw like such a disconnect from, uh, between Mariona and Esther, for example. Um, so not it's not just that Alexia and Jenny are, um, are missing because they're they ob- obviously such big absences. It's also the team not finding, um, you know, that, that fluidity that characterizes Barcelona. And um, and also their manager clearly not being able to 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 make uh, this group of of amazing players who and this group of from different teams become one. So I think as as long as they don't find that, I don't think they're as strong contenders as they appear to be. Uh, if they manage to find a way to come together as a team and for players to gel better, then I think there are still contenders. But it will very much uh, depend on that. So it means that the Germans have qualified for the quarterfinals and it's a straight shootout between Spain and Denmark. Are the Spanish the favourites going into this game? Sandra, what do you think? How do you think it's going to play out? I I think so. I think obviously the... You know, Denmark, very different sides to um, Germany. I think uh, it's, it's if when they lose, if they lose that ball when they or the counter in in you know going forward, I think that's where you know Spain may well punish them. For example, I think that, that Spain won't have find it as challenging in terms of uh, you know the chances and try, and trying to finish chances as they found it against Germany. I think Denmark will have a real fight on their hands to to, to I think. Beat Spain. I'm, my 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 eyes are on a Spain win in that game. Nesh, do you agree with that? Um, yeah, Spain are the stronger team uh, theoretically, and uh, they are also uh, you know Denmark is not uh, the the same Denmark that we saw in 2017. Uh, so I agree with Sandra. I, I think Spain are definitely favourites for the win, but you know, <laughs> well, you never know. Uh, so we might have a surprise on our hands but going in yeah Spain uh, for the win if you haven't got tickets to the matches this summer then don't worry we love sport will find you all the best pubs and bars showing this summer's women's euros head to www.welovesport.co or download the app to book your table you can't beat the pub moving on to something that you might be a little bit more interested in Inesh group c is a group that I know that for obvious reasons you've been keeping your eye on. And it's also been a really tight group um, with everyone just on one point going into 
the game day that we've just had. The early kickoff was in Sheffield as Sweden took on Switzerland, with both sides looking to claim their first win. In the build-up, the Swiss were hit by a stomach bug as 13 players and staff in total were affected. It looked like Switzerland had a penalty when Noel Maris seemed to have been brought down by Magda Eriksson, but it was overturned in a VAR review. Sweden took the lead seven minutes into the second half when Barcelona's Friedelina Rolfo swept home Aslani's pass. Switzerland fought back and Ramona Backman equalised, but Everton's Hannah Benison kept her composure to score the winner and ensure Sweden are on course to qualify for the quarterfinals. Ultimately, do you think it was Sweden's quality that shone through, or do you think Switzerland pushed the foot off the gas a little bit in that second half, Sandra? Fortunately, I didn't get a chance to see the game. I guess with Sweden, I mean, they're quite a tough type side to break down. I know that Blom- Blomqvist, Rebecca Blomqvist, had a couple of chances, didn't she? A couple she of disallowed girls. So um, it's, I guess it's a case of their quality and ability to, to push through and, you know, and get that, that important win. And I think it's a real confidence boost for Benison to, to score and to score the winner for her side. I mean, so much has been said about her as being one of the most promising young players for um, Sweden international side. Um, but it makes for an interesting final game for that group in terms of, you know, between themselves and Netherlands, whether Sweden will will find a way to finish top of the table. Yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned there about Benison. It was her first international goal. And I think especially coming into that fixture, um, she's had a lot of pressure put on her, especially with her fee going to Everton, arguably, She's not really performed, but it could be argued that that's more Everton's lack of ability to kind of do anything really this season rather than her. You can't just rely on one player all of the time. So I'm sure that was a big confidence booster for her to get that goal today. And you're right, the disallowed goals too. I did watch the fixture, um, especially focusing on the second half. I actually don't think there was much between the sides. Um, I think Switzerland were just more, they were able to get the ball in the back of the net more than, uh, like Sweden were able to get the ball in the back of the net more than Switzerland were. Um, Many of which those goals were disallowed, um, but they were able to do it. Um, And I think that was quite important as well. Switzerland didn't look, um, they didn't look lost without the ball in the way that I think other teams were. I think they were just realistically, they were rebuffing Sweden's attack most of the time. Um, but they caught uh, they caught um, the Swiss uh, the Swedish players in the offside trap quite a lot, um, and it that proved really difficult for them to kind of play off. But obviously, it did come off as a Swedish win in the end. Um, the fact that Switzerland also were strung up by illness probably didn't help um, in the end. I know I saw an interview with Ramona Backman before the game saying that they had to do their press uh, their conferences online. They weren't able to train. So Inesh, do you think it was still quite an impressive game that they were able to kind of not fall apart um, in the ways that other teams have, especially in spite of these injuries? Uh, definitely. Switzerland have surprised me a lot in this tournament. Uh, they, I mean, I knew they were theoretically the third strongest team in the group or the second weakest um, so the fact that both them and Portugal uh, have managed to uh, put, put up such a fight against world-class teams has been, I think it's commendable. And it shows that 
um, we can really uh, like place our bets before any game because uh, everyone here is, is at such a high level and they, they all have such talented players. I'm a fan of Ramona Backman myself and she has been a true leader for, for Switzerland. Same as Lia Valti, and uh, I think uh, they have been amazing again because it's such it's supposedly such a big step up from you know from Switzerland's twentieth uh, place uh, spot on the FIFA ranking, and then the other two teams, and well, they haven't played the Netherlands yet, but the fact that they have been able to give Sweden so much trouble. And have you know all those players out with their uh, stomach bug? Uh, so yeah, I think the people from Switzerland will be very proud of their team, and they have reason to. Talking also about illnesses elsewhere in the other game, the Netherlands were dealt a big blow in the build-up to their clash against Portugal, with both Viviana Miedemar and also Jackie Gronen being ruled out of the game with COVID. Portugal were looking to build on their encouraging performances against Swiss, um, but once again fell two goals behind before fighting back. Former Everton midfielder Damaris Aragarula had opened the scoring with a looping header before Stephanie van der Graat nodded home a second for the penalty, whilst getting a boot in the eye in the progress. Carola Costa reduced the deficit with a 38th-minute penalty that was awarded after a pitch-side monitor checked by the referee before Daniela Silva's header sparkled scenes of jubilation amongst the Portuguese supporters as it went into the back of the net. At 2-2, though, Jill Roard thought she'd restored the Netherlands' advantage, but her efforts were ruled out for offside. But Danielle van der Donk, uh, with an absolute peach-perfect goal, ensured the Netherlands are up there with Sweden on four points. Inesh, in the end, Portugal fought hard, but were equally undone by the quality of the Netherlands. What did you make of this game overall? I look, um, this is expected. Like there's a, a sort of expected factor because Portugal are weaker than the Netherlands. That is a fact, but the fact that they put up so much of a fight and that they almost, uh, you know, cause an upset, that is so uh, surprising that I mean it's true they don't have uh, Groenen and uh, it's true they don't have uh, Miedema and I do think that with Miedema available the scoreline could have been a lot different because the Netherlands have <laughs> they, they showcase such a lack of ability to hit to hit the back of the net and to even hit the target that you know with a more uh, clinical player they the score could have been much different still Mirama wasn't there and despite that they still have Vandedong, Roard, uh, they have Jensen, they have so many good players in Portugal with, who are so below them on the FIFA ranking and uh, professionalization and all that they still managed to you know to give the Netherlands a scare so I think, and I, I mean, if, if that goal, uh, well, there was the goal that was disallowed, true, and then there was the actual goal, but Portugal were also very close to tying the game, 
in the very final second. Mm. So um, I think Portugal have to pat themselves on the back because they have done very well. They that was a performance that was not expected. And the Netherlands have to maybe start worrying a little bit more about what they are doing in terms of maybe we are not as strong as we think and maybe we should uh, take some measures in that sense because they seriously risk uh, losing their European title in England. Sandra, Farah Williams doesn't think Netherlands are going to progress very far if they keep conceding this many chances. Inesh has kind of just said the same thing, really. What do you think about this? Do you think they're going to be able to kind of, I wouldn't even say match what obviously they did in 2017 winning the title, but do you think they're going to progress in this competition or is it just not their year? Well, I mean, I think I'd be shocked if I might, they'll go beyond the group stage, I imagine. And um, But I agree with most of what Inesh is saying in terms of, I mean, Portugal with a, with the, the set piece with the header from um, Silva. And I mean, even early on in the opening minutes of that game, I mean, they had a goal disallowed, but they started strongly. I mean, if maybe if they'd been a yard or two a bit further back, that the, the, you know, the goal that was disallowed, I think in the opening two or three minutes, that, you know, it could easily have been a 3-3 three, three, um, for, for in terms of that game. But um, I, I think with the fact that they're missing their, their number one goalkeeper, that's a huge blow. Um, it, it's um, a, a big ask for their for their second choice goalkeeper, who is promising, and she did you know make a, a couple of good saves during that match. But when you're, you know, if you come up against a far stronger side, a stronger side offensively, such as a Germany or an England or a France, you you know you could end up getting demolished if if you have lapses um, at the back defensively. And obviously, they've had a bit of, of bad luck in terms of uh, you know with COVID. Uh, affecting Niedermar, Gronen, goalkeeper, you know, the number one goalkeepers out. Um, they, you know, it's, it's been a bit of a tricky start in that sense for them, but I guess they'll want to tighten things up a little bit at the back, particularly when they come up against the stronger sides. Otherwise, it could be, you know, curtains for them and not being able to defend that title that they won so well in 2017. Looking ahead, though, to Thursday's game, France, obviously, as we saw, were very, very good against Italy and they are taking on Belgium and Italy take on Iceland, who are above them in the group currently. Looking ahead to Thursday's game, France were very, very good against Italy earlier on in the week. They're going to be taking on Belgium and Italy take on Iceland, who are currently above them in the group. Sandra, do you think Belgium are the ones with the much tougher task? Yeah, I think I mean that that group's an interesting one. I do I think I think they it's they do have a slightly tough task, but again I expect them to do well. I expect them to you know they should, should they have enough quality I think to be able to to proceed. But it's uh, you, when you look at um, the quality they have up front with I, I don't want to mispronounce the name, but Justine Van 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 Miedemar Van Amine, I don't know I don't want to mispronounce her surname, but they should have enough quality to get through. I think Belgium in that group so I think they should be okay. There was also an interesting feature with Alex Scott during halftime of the Germany-Spain game on the BBC about the lack of BAME representation in the Lionesses squad especially in comparison to the men's side. Now our guests from our last hangout Anita Asante spoke really well on it saying that at least the conversation's being held now. 
Sandra, I know you've been speaking to the likes of Hope Powell and Mary Phillips about this and how more needs to be done to bringing in more talented players from black and ethnic minority backgrounds. Yeah, I mean, the thing that Hope, I mean, Hope Powell's flagged this a, a couple of times in the times I've spoken to her whilst covering the WSL and the main challenge, and I think it was flagged also in that BBC uh, segment that was aired earlier this week, the main challenge seems to be the kind of, the fact that you've got some of these uh, centres of excellence or, or uh, RTCs as, as they're sometimes called, based in um, rural areas where the, you know, the, the, play, the pool of players that you have in those areas isn't necessarily diverse. You're not, you don't have as many uh, non-white players, black or, or Asian or, you know, going to those centers. And then for, you know, most of your, your black or and Asian minority ethnic players might be living in areas that are more urban, but the, the RTCs aren't as close to those places perhaps. And that seems to be the thing, the thing that seems to be talked about is trying to find ways to ensure that players from minority ethnic backgrounds have better access to these RC, RTCs. So if they're, you know, lots of promising, talented youngsters from minority ethnic backgrounds who are playing at a grassroots level, living in areas such as Birmingham, London, uh, Manchester, Leeds, where have you, just it's, it's about finding ways of ensuring that they can get to these RTCs that, you know, that might be miles and miles away and in some cases one thing that, that um hope power flagged is you know so, some for some players it's it's just the simple thing of the journey to get there and then also you know if it's if your parents or your guardians don't drive and you don't have anyone to take you there then access to those places is is going to be a challenge um and i think the fa's spoken about trying to strengthen the link between grassroots um uh, grassroots setups and clubs where you've got some very talented players from who are black or, or Asian or from other minority groups, um, strengthen links between those grassroots clubs and the RTCs. And I think they've, they, they've released a paper where they talked about ensuring that 75% um, of, of all grassroots football clubs offer at least one girls team um, and a thousand clubs offering a complete pathway for girls. So the idea is that to try and strengthen the link between grassroots setups where you have, you know, talents who could be the next, I don't know, any Aluko or the next Anita Asante, the next Alex Scott, having access uh, to the pathways that may well lead to them either playing for a top club or in, further along playing for England. So um, it's, yeah, trying to strengthen the links between the RTCs and then the grassroots club where the talents might be there, but they're just not being unearthed. Thank you. Thank you so much for speaking on that. I just want to give a little anecdote before we before we wrap up the pod, because it, it, it happened to me earlier on earlier on this week. And I just think it's, it's really important to share when we're speaking on this topic. I was lucky enough to be um, I, I spoke on Pioneers Day for UCFB and we were speaking to a bunch of year nines from lots of different schools in um, in London. I was talking about sports journalism now. Um, amongst the kind of activities we were doing we were putting on a press conference and one of the things that these kids were having to do was they were having to pick their lionesses squad for the game against norway that evening um and one of the groups that i was talking to we had groups of 15 each and one of the one of the smaller groups were a group of about four or five black girls and they didn't know the lionesses squad at all apart from nikita paris 
They knew Nikita Paris. They loved Nikita Paris. They were telling me everything about her. And they were so proud to put her as their centre forward. They were so proud to pretend to be her in the press conference to talk about being captain of England and what they would do if they were captain because they put her as their captain for the game. And I know it's just, it's little things like that that, these girls, these girls didn't know anything about men's football or women's football, but they knew Nikita Paris and they knew how they were. She and she was really important to them. And it's just little things like that. It's so big, but it just seeing it at that small level, it was just so brilliant, brilliant to see. But that's it. Many, many thanks to both Ines and Sandra. Do not forget to subscribe to the Women's Football Podcast across all podcasting platforms. Follow us on social media at TWFP1 and on the Women's Football Podcast on Instagram. If you want tickets to our next hangout, which is tomorrow, Friday, in Manchester, with guests Aoife Mannion and Esme Morgan, then go to www.welovesport.co forward slash women's euros slash euros. See you all very, very soon. <laughs>